pray. Because they are good. What's your name? Ella, thank you so very, 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 very much. I'm going to get feedback if I don't. I'm going to do this. No, seriously, thank you, Cameron. I appreciate it. Um, we hit those. No, it's not, yay, because I can't see you as well. I don't. Oh, and the Spirit will teach you what you need anyway. <laughs> oh, thank you on that one. If you push on that back button, think back there. Push the one that says preset four, like right there, that corner right there, and then we'll turn off those lights on that one right there. Is there one that says preset four? Perfect, that's what I like. All right? Now somebody fix the rest of the lights. <laughs> Sorry. You want to you want to try? Yeah. They want they want to see the screen for some screen reason. Oh no, don't do that one. That, can you see that? No. Oh, don't do that. No. They will fall asleep for sure. They will like fall asleep. Please. Please don't do that one. I I have no thank you. I want to see you. I don't care about you seeing me. But what's the Can you see it enough? Watch. Okay, it's good, right? Okay, good. That's I want to see your faces. It makes the biggest difference for the teacher. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Thanks for, seriously, the prayer. Um, excited to be with you today. We're going to talk about, um, this week, these various topics, okay? Uh, with an uh, 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 emphasis on um, what, how it hinders us from knowing our God, like we talked about this. Okay? So, Boxing Lord, if you look below, I put kind of a subtitle that's kind of been in my mind about the last two months. Uh, today we'll cover these two. We'll cover boxing the Lord in, considering things that we had never supposed. It's kind of my new title, that one. Connecting our world horizontally or looking upon the Son of God. And so, let me just start with something really quickly. The most important thing, I was talking to Allison just a second ago. Um, she's put up with me for the last few years in my classes. I appreciate it. Um, but I was watching her yesterday. And she was receiving revelation that probably had nothing to do with what I was teaching, more than likely. And that is my favorite part of a teacher, is watching God teach while I teach. It's my favorite. Um, one of my colleagues shared this, this story with me my first year of being a, uh, a seminary teacher. And he said that he, this was before cell phones and emails and all that kind of stuff. He said that um, he had a really strong impression to talk with one of his students, a young lady. Uh, but you couldn't text him, you couldn't email him, none of that existed. So he thought, well, let's talk to her in class on Thursday. And Thursday comes and she isn't there. And he thought, I've done too. I must not be. And about 10 minutes into the class, she walked in and he thought, ah, yes. About 10 minutes before the class ended, she left. And he thought, okay. And so he went through the weekend and it was bothering him because it was a precious, sometimes you get a really strong impression. You don't know why. He thought he needed to talk to her. And he couldn't. So Monday morning, he's sitting in his office, and there's a knock on his door. And guess who's standing there? Every girl in my story that I ever tell is called Susie. So just so you know. So Susie was standing there. And Susie said, Brother Soto, can I come in? I want to tell you what happened last Thursday in class. He goes, oh, my word. You've been on my mind, like, for the last week. She goes, oh, that's interesting. And I think maybe it's because of what happened on Thursday. And he says, well, what happened Thursday? He says, you know that lesson you taught on the Word of Wisdom? It literally changed my life. It changed the experience that I had this weekend. I made decisions differently. And he said, Susie, um, I didn't teach a lesson on the Word of Wisdom last Thursday. And she said, no, don't you remember I came 10 minutes late? And I think 10 minutes early? Because of what you taught, things in my future will be very different. He said, Susie, I remember you coming late. I remember you leaving early. I promise you, I did not even mention, nor did anybody else mention that day, the word of wisdom in class. And she got upset. He said, yes, you did. I heard it. So he went to get his lesson plan and opened it up. 
to show her the lesson had nothing to do with the word of wisdom. And as he opened it up, the Spirit said to him, Be quiet. I taught her. So he closed his book and said, So tell me about that lesson on the word of wisdom. Brothers and sisters, there's Carl here. There's a bunch of you. This is Allison got her word of wisdom lesson yesterday. You get your vision. Because see, I don't know what's going on in Deanne's world. I don't know what's going on in Melanie's world. I don't know what's going on in Amelia's world. But he does. And because you chose to use your agency to come to a place where the Spirit would be, where he could do his work, he will give you your word of wisdom lessons. They'll have nothing to do with the Lord's sacred bruises. But the point is, you're in the environment that allows it to happen. That is often the way Revelation works. It's phenomenally amazing. This concept of boxing the Lord in, or as I've titled it now, considering things that we've not ever supposed, um, has been something that's just worked in my mind for about the last 10 years because I am so good at doing it. And in fact, if you look over one of these, I am literally the person that did them, and so the Lord had to teach me to stop doing it. Um, that is what's happened. I am very much a person that loves to stay in control, loves to have things their way, is stubborn and honry uh, and all those other kind of things. And, and um, God said, Stephen, you know what I can do for you if you let me? But I like it my way. Then I guess you can have it your way. So I started to study this concept, this phrase, boxing board, and came to me. So let's talk about it. Um, I feel that we cannot teach a principle based around scriptures and the words of the prophets that we shouldn't be teaching it. And so, as the concept came to my mind, I started to search and seek to see if I was finding this in scripture blocks. And what happens is when the Lord reveals something to you, and then you have to go start searching in the scriptures for it, you go, wow, holy cow, you start seeing things with new eyes. It's kind of amazing. So I, the story I came to love is the story of Naaman um, and the prophet Elisha. And as I started to read this story, it just went, holy cow, look at this. What we have a tendency to do if we're not careful is we determine and set parameters around what God can speak to us about and when he can speak to us and how he can speak to us. And then we get angry at him when he doesn't speak to us. And he's saying, what was the war in heaven over? I will always honor your agency. If you don't want me there, I will not. I will not. So watch what happens here. So Naaman came with his horse in his chair. So let me back up. I apologize. Did, you may know the story, you may not. So I'm just going to give a real quick sub, uh, reader's digest version of the story in the first part. Is the head of the Syrian army, amazing man of valor, conquers. He conquered a land, and at that time he saved a little girl from the house of Israel. He brought her home, and she became a handmaid to his wife. And during this time, um, he ended up contracting leprosy. And in that process, it's pretty tough to lead an army when you're filled with leprosy, and they ostracize you from it and everything else. And he was, I would assume, I'm going to do a little bit of an elder hall in here and take a little bit of literary um, leeway and say, I think he was probably pretty distraught and worried about what's going to happen in his future. And I wondered if one day he was sitting there and he was talking to his sweetheart and said, and the little girl being a handmaiden said there's a prophet in Israel if you go, he'll heal you I thought about that little girl a lot courage and he trusted her and believed her and so he gets on his chariots and his horses and he goes to the house of Elisha now this is what is so fascinating about this watch you guys Elisha doesn't even come out now, if you're Naaman, would you not assume that the prophet would at least come and talk to you? Would you not think that he would be the one that would do the miracle? But what's so interesting is Elisha, it seems, does not want to take away from Naaman being connected to God. He doesn't want to connect to him. But in this story, I tried to search. I don't know if Naaman ever really associated or met with Elisha at all because Gehazi, Elisha's servant is the one that does all the messenger stuff through the whole story. So, of course, he's going to assume God that Elisha will come out. So, watch. And Elisha sends out a messenger to him saying, Go and 
was injured in the seven times. And that flesh shall come again unto thee, and thou shalt be clean. Have you ever thought about this? How did Elisha know that Naaman was coming? How did Elisha know that he had leprosy? How did Elisha know what was going on? Naaman hadn't even told him why he was there. And before he gets to the door, he sets out and says, Coach, I'd like to wash seven times in the Jordan, and he heals leprosy to God. But Naaman missed it. Naaman missed it. Because Naaman had created a box on how God was supposed to heal him. God literally, without even, didn't he, didn't he catch that the prophet knew something before it happened? But look at his next statement. But Naaman was angry, wrong. I learned that when I box the Lord in, that is often what my emotion heads to very quickly when things don't work the way that I think they should. And that's the litmus test for me that I'm probably off track. Is that I'm mad at the Lord. Naaman's robbed and went away. Naaman, you just got to wash in the river seven times, but that isn't how it was supposed to happen. He says, behold, I thought, boxing, I thought that he, surely the prophet, would at least come out and talk to me. And of course, he would stand and he would call upon the name of the Lord. And he would strike his hand over the place he recovered the leper. So Naaman says, I'm going to go. Elisha's going to walk down. He's going to stand before me. He's going to cast his magical powers. And he's going to heal the leper. So he had decided how he would be healed. The verse before, God said you could be healed. But it didn't fit within Naaman's box. And so he wouldn't accept it. We do the same thing. I'll show you as we go through today. At least I do the same thing. I assume that you're a mortal human being that breathes like I do, so you probably do too. Okay? He says, well, at least he could have picked a decent river. Seriously? I mean, if he's not going to come out, could he at least said, you can go to Amana or Farpar or Damascus, but seriously, has anybody been to the Jordan? It's filthy. How would a filthy river make you clean? God can't even pick the right river. Hallelujah. His servant comes to him and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had been to use some great thing. But how about that? I'd rather than just go and do what the Lord asks and stop boxing the Stop setting the parameters upon a being that has all knowledge, all love, all goodness, all everything. And going from a little tiny, as I call my brain, a pea brain, thinking I know better, even that I want to pick the river that I'm killed in, or the way it's supposed to happen. Heavenly Father, I've been struggling with depression for years. I'm going to go and get a priesthood blessing. And I'll be healed, right? But what if that's not the way the Lord wants it? Or the timing of it. I lived back in Virginia. Elder Scott would come back every year. And he'd always meet with a few of the YSAs that he felt like were struggling. I had a student that um, had a sickness where I just forgot the name of it. It's where his mom had to beat on his chest every day to break up all the stuff inside of his lung suite. Cystic fibrosis. Thank you very much. And so she would just beat him up every day so that all the stuff would come out and he would live, but you're not, you're not, he knew he wasn't going to live a long time. He, he was president of my, of my institute there at the time, and he didn't date much because he knew that he wouldn't put a wife through that. And Elder Scott was leaving, in, and my, my student, we'll call him John, said, Brother Sinker, I feel like I need to meet with him. I think if he gives me a blessing, So Elder Scott was in a hurry and I signed, so I ran after him and said, Oh Scott, I'm sorry, could you just meet with one more young man for a second? He says, Where is he? I said, He's right over there standing. He says, Bring him over. And he said, Is that better? Thanks for saying something. I like you. <laughs> I like you. I like people that say what they feel. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> he said, Come here. And then he said to the young man, What's going on? And I kind of stood off because I was trying not to eavesdrop, but I was eavesdropping anyway. Because that's what I do. Um, and I just wanted to know what was going to happen. And he said, tell me what's going on. 
And um, he shared with me, he says, I just I want your blessing from you. Elder Scott dropped his head and sat there for mm, 45 seconds, maybe a minute. Then he raised his head and said, God said I'd give you a blessing, let's go back inside. They walked back inside and they gave him a blessing. The young man wasn't healed, but in the blessing it didn't promise healing, it promised a transplant. And he received it about a year later. And today, he lives here in the Insala, he's a beautiful little family, doing great. John didn't have a clue, he just had faith that whatever God saw was right would be it. And he trusted in that. Um, the one thing that I love as we go through this story, when you look at this last verse, we sometimes miss gems in the scriptures if we don't take time to see what's going on. I've wondered a lot that when Naaman came, and maybe I just am wondering through my own personality, because that's the only place I know where to wonder from, because <laughs> I don't know anything else. So I probably would have done this. But I wondered if Naaman, when he came to be healed, if he would have been happy with just being back to his worn, torn skin. I would have been absolutely elated if God let me have my old worn, torn skin back. I don't. I just wanted leprosy gone. But see, when God is unboxed, look at this verse. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. Seven's a beautiful number of perfection, of course. According to saying a man, but here's the beauty of it. Look at this verse. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. He wasn't healed back to the worn, torn soldier. His skin was back to the perfection of a child because when God does things, he does it that way. And I found that when I will unbox the Lord, when I will open up and let him do it the way he is, holy cow, the reason I titled this this way now, considering the things I never supposed, I don't believe that Naaman believed that he could go back to the, the, the skin of a child. When I'm telling you, you unbox the Lord, he will tell you things you would never suppose. I'll show you what I mean by that, okay? So as we walk through, basically what we do is say, right, the bottom, this is the box, this is the parameter, this is the place that you can talk to me from and about. And we do it all the time. I'll just give you a few examples, okay? So you give me a revelation within this box. So for example, I will serve any calling except, and then you tell me which one you'll serve in. I don't want to be bishop, elder president, deep side president, none of those, all right? And he's like, well, that's what, that's what I want you to be. He's like, no, 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 it's not on the list. The list is very small. Primary, ministry, brother only, or nursery, because they get treats. Um, and so we, 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 we would do it in some of these, like our colleagues. We'd tell them what kind we'd have. It's a story in conference where they had a, that scheduled for a state conference, and the guy that was feeling it was going to be it, remember he left for the weekend? And he got in a car accident? Came back the next week because they changed the time of the state conference to the next week because the guy that was supposed to be it wasn't there because he was running. Because his list was not state president. Smart man. Um, and in that process, he comes back and he's called and says, stop boxing me in. You're my state president. I didn't ask if you want to be because you told me you would be in the free moral life. And I'm honoring that because you told me you would be. We'll talk about that in a second. I'll go anywhere you want me to go as long as it doesn't require me to move from my house. <laughs> so you give God a geographical boundary of revelation. Okay, or I cannot switch wards either, of course, you're right. Because, if, you know, I mean, our ward is the best ward. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. Geographical boundary boxing is very real. Absolutely. Okay. And I watched him do it. Heavenly Father, we'll have as many kids as you want as long as it's not more than four. So how many of you like to have? Five. No, no. Four or under. Four or under. What did you not? Five. Okay, so he, he acquiesces and says, okay, four. And then I'm going to do something I just got to see. Raise your hand if you had a caboose child. Yep, I knew it. Look at that. Seriously. You should have listened earlier. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, okay? But seriously, you think about it. God will get here what he wants if you're willing, and sometimes it'll take a while. For example, a member of my state presidency in San Luis Obispo, his wife, after the last child, knew they were supposed to have another one. She went home and told her husband, he said, not a chance. Not a chance. For the next seven years, she prayed for him every day that his heart would be softened. Every day for seven years. One night, she's there, says, hey, we pray together. He goes, no. 
because I know what you're going to ask, and I'm not going to be. She goes, come on, let's pray together. So they prayed together, and he was reprimanded quite severely. And then he was told, you need to have another child. And they had their eight-year cruise. And he stood up to take off and said, oh, I want to tell you this, that this son was not a mistake. Or an oops is what he used. God took a while to finally give me where I was supposed to be. Because I wouldn't listen. Because I figured I knew more than God did. That's boxing the Lord in. Okay? How about this one? Lord, my daughter has to win this. If she doesn't, her life will be over. Mothers, raise your hand if you've said a prayer like that. Yeah, come on, come on! Like, you're like this is this is it! Like, she, 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 I, I've done it. I've done it. I, I was devastated on some things when my children didn't win what I thought they should have won. And, but what was so amazing is when they did win, it opened the box to be taught. It made it so he could then really help them become what they needed to become. Back to my one child that I thought for sure would have dot 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 and didn't get it was the thing that changed them. But me, Mr. All-Knowing of Dad, the, I boxed Lord and said, I know him really well. I've always wanted to be his last name. He goes, yeah, about 18 years well, I know him as well. Will you listen to me? This is my favorite because I do it all the time. Heavenly Father, please don't tell me the answer is blank. I already know that. You told me that last week. Can I get a new one? I do that one all the time. I really do. Like, like he'll give me something one week. I'm like, oh, if I wait long enough, he might change his mind. No, don't make me do that one. And we do that. And so, you look at this, you guys. Again, we do time boundaries. Heavenly Father, they said I need to know by Monday, so I need you to go. He's like, and who told you you need to know by Monday? Well, the boss. Well, that's nice. Who am I? But he's here. You're not. And, and I need some help by Monday. Guys, we cannot time boundary the Lord. We cannot geographically boundary the Lord. We cannot do any of those. Those are boxing the Lord in the way boundaries on it. The question I must ask is, what is it that we don't know or understand about our God that would cause us to box him in? Because the most important thing isn't that you unbox him. The most important thing is, what is it you need to know about him so you can unbox him? What is it that you need to know more about him that would allow you to trust him so the box can be removed? And I found that when I start to box the Lord in, if I'll ask myself the question, what is it that I don't know about you that's causing me to do this? That's when the good revelation starts to come. Instead of me worrying about the answer, I again start to be taught by him. He starts to teach me what he's like. And that is what matters most, is knowing what he's like, okay? So, this principle from Joseph just struck me. This, I put this in last week as I was pondering on this presentation. And it was just so neat to listen to. You, you know that Joseph went, and he went into the grove of the trees to ask a question. But look at the phrase here. I don't know what I did with my glasses. I do know what I did with my glasses. My object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which of the, all the sects was right. That's all I want to know. Which one should I join? Right? And I showed yesterday where it opened up that I might know which to join. No sooner, therefore, did I get possession of myself. This is after the father and the son had left. I mean, after they came, I apologize. So as to able to speak, then I asked the person, Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He just has a visit from the father and the son, and he still remembers the question he was there for. I have like forgot everything. But Joseph was determined to know which one was right, and, and literally a personal visitation. And he still, once he gets his his bearings back, he asks, "Which one should I join?" But look at this phrase: "For at this time it had never entered into my heart that all were wrong." Do you know what the Lord can teach you? Things that you never would have ever thought about. If you'll unbox them. Let me give you one more. You gotta go to Moses. Okay, I mean, what an amazing thing. And the presence of God withdrew from Moses, and his glory was upon Moses, and Moses was left unto himself. He was left unto himself and fell to the earth. Similar to Joseph. Joseph was on the ground for a long time, so was Moses. It came to pass that for the space of many hours before Moses did again receive his natural strength as a man out. Look at this. And he said unto himself, now 
For this cause, I know that man is nothing, which thing I had never supposed. Moses had never supposed that man was nothing. Joseph had never supposed that none of the religions were correct. When we unbox the Lord, we will come to know things we had never supposed or known. Let me give you a real life example. So, this box here, I will do any job on this list. When I was in college, um, I came up from my mission, and I was thinking, I like most preacher missionaries, I thought, ah, I'd like to teach seminary. And I just love teaching. I didn't know I loved to teach because I hadn't done that before. And I went into the guy, and he says, oh, you're, you're way early. You can't start until your junior year, so come back and see your junior year. I walked out of there and went, I don't want to do that. So I didn't think about it again. And I headed down my path. I created my, I created my journey. I created, and I said to the Father, okay, this is what I would like to do is, these are the jobs I would like. I want to be a Mary's family counselor. I want to be a businessman also. So basically, I'm going to own my own clinic, and I'll hire others, and I can run that. Then eventually, I'll sell that, and I'll come work for the church later in life and give you my time. And so I told him, that's what's on my list to do, and that's what I'd like to do. So I cruised towards it. Coming to my junior year, I'm halfway through my junior year, almost towards the end of my junior year, in fact. Only a couple months left of my junior year. And I'm walking at Utah State. Everybody knows the institute building. You walk down from 107, there's the men's bathroom, you turn a corner right there. And um, what's so weird is I teach right there, and this experience just walks through my mind all the time. I turn the corner, Brother Wayne May was standing there. And he says, Stephen. I said, what? He goes, a question for you. I said, what is it? He said, you ever thought about teaching seminary? I said, yeah, I thought about it once. And he said, oh, what do you think? I said, nope. Don't want to do it. I got my lifeline. He said, well, I'm being really serious. I said, no, I know how much you guys make. I'm okay. I actually did say that. I said that again. And he starts laughing. He goes, yeah. And then he stopped. And, and he's like, well, no, you, you need to think about it. And I said, Brother May, I've got my plan. And he grabbed me by the shoulders and said, you need to listen. You need to think about it. I'm like, oh, he's serious. Okay, Brother May. He lets me go. I walk away. I don't think about it. I want to do that. I want to teach. Um, I want to say marriages. It's my greatest desire. I want to say marriages. And um, about four days later, my old seminary teacher calls me up and says, Hey, would you come up and teach a seminary for a day? And just kind of share some experiences in my classes. I'm like, what? All right, whatever. I really love him, so I couldn't say no. So Brother Scott has me come up, and I go up there, and I teach for a day. I'm like, oh, this is kind of yeah, no, I'm not this. Um, the next week, three other institute teachers grabbed me in the hall and said, have you thought about teaching something? Like, okay, Lord, I'm slow, but I'm not that slow. So, but it's not fitting in my box at all. It doesn't make sense. And my box is a darn good box. It's a righteous box. It's a faithful box. I created it. Yeah, that's a problem. Um, and um, all of a sudden, I realize that I ought to at least go check it. So I go talk to the pre-service guy, and he says, oh, you're too late. You're supposed to start the junior. I'm like, yeah, this is good. He goes, but I'll let you in anyway. I'm like, oh, seriously? And so I go take the class. I go and make you teach in front of your peers for 10 minutes. I teach for 10 minutes. He evaluates you. He comes into your, his office after he evaluates you. And then I go in and he says, that was pathetic. He says, that, was, that wasn't any good at all. I'm like, oh, okay. He wasn't, if you knew Brother Gibbons at all, he did not mince words. And he says, wow. Seems like life's a lot about you, Sacred. That's what he said to me. Like, oh, okay. So I went home that weekend and I prayed, kind of, because I figured I'd already seen the revelation. You're pathetic, don't teach. And so I go back on Monday and I say, oh, Brother Gibbons, I've got to pray about this weekend. I'm not going to teach. And he sits back in his chair and goes, ha, ha, I just laughed at him. I'm like, you aren't supposed to laugh at people. And he says, you obviously don't remember I invited you to go teach 10 days at Logan Seminary. So I obviously think you're an okay teacher. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So I went in my 10 days because I made a commitment. And I fell in love with the kids. Not teaching. I fell in love with the kids. Her girl, her mother committed suicide the year before. She just was hurting. A young man that didn't know what he wanted in life. I, just, I can tell you where they all sit. All of a sudden I watched lives start to be changed through God's work. All of a sudden my heart started to change and I started to open up. I unboxed the Lord, and he turned me into a teacher. He turned me into a teacher. And my dad's thing over there, he would tell you, I've probably been one of the 
least likely voted in the town of Star Valley, Wyoming as to be a seminary teacher. He's shaking his head. <laughs> but God made something of me that I didn't know was there. Brothers and sisters, there's power in this. There absolutely is. You just ask yourself this question, what would happen if we allowed God to show us things that we've never supposed? What would happen, you guys, if you went to the Lord and said, just teach me. This is what's going on. This is what I can see, but I don't see much. What do you see? Will you teach me things that I haven't even thought about, haven't even supposed? That unboxes him. He, what could and would he teach us about himself if he went, Heavenly Father, what is it I don't know about you that I need to know better? Man, what would that open out? Oh, what would that do for us? Because seriously, how sincerely, how can we sincerely pray to be an instrument in his hands if the instrument seeks to do the instructing? We're not the instructor. We're the pupil. And we've got to stop instructing a God that is the God of this universe and the God and Father of us all. Okay? So I taught this years ago, and a young lady raised her hand and said, Brother and Savior, so in other words, don't dream about anything, is what you just taught me. Don't have any wishes, hopes, dreams, or anything else. And I went, that isn't what I meant to teach. And she said, well, that's what I got out of it. I'm like, that I've done something wrong. Hopefully, when students ask tough questions, if you'll unbox the Lord what you're teaching, it's kind of a cool experience. And so the Lord shared this. I said, go to him, Susie, and tell him every dream, every hope, every wish that you have to the very minute detail. Share every bit of it, and then end your prayer as you'll watch the screen with this. The box will be. And maybe your dreams will be fulfilled, and maybe he'll adjust them. But he doesn't want to hear about them. Because truly, men and women who turn their lives over to God will discover that he can make a lot more out of their lives than they can. He will deepen their joys, expand their vision, quicken their minds, strengthen their muscles, lift their spirits, multiply their blessings, increase their opportunities, comfort their souls, raise up friends, and pour out peace. Holy cow. Whoever will lose his life in the service of God or a box will find eternal life. And the reason is because of what I saw yesterday. This is life eternal, that you might know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. When you unbox the Lord, he then can teach you what he's like, which means you will then gain eternal life because you know him. So, second principle today. Connecting our work horizontally or casting our eyes about. Okay? What we turn for what we turn to for revelation is what we will come to know. This is critical. If whatever I turn to to get my answer, that's what I will come to know. And if it's a horizontal source, I'll come to know that horizontal source really well. And the more I know that horizontal source, the more I will trust that horizontal source. But if I turn to the vertical source and truly come to know him, that is where then I will start to be able to expand. So you know the story of Lehi's dream. And I, I just love what, what happens here. Um, it's simply two groups that make it to the tree. Let's look at them. Okay? First of all, just really quickly, let's just run through some quick symbolisms. Uh, iron rod, word of God, right? Okay? Pathway to Christ, the fruit, the atonement, the tree, the love of God or Jesus Christ. Okay? The building, of course, the pride of the world, the mints, the temptations of the devil, the river, the depths of hell. Okay, so those are basically the, the elements that are in this vision, or in this dream, I'm sorry. So two groups make it, many try, but only two make it. The first that makes it is this, and it came to pass that I felt others pressing forward. And they came home and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron, and they did press forward through the midst of darkness, clinging to the rod of iron until they did come forth and partake of the fruit of the truth. So they make it all the way to Jesus Christ. They partake of the atonement of Jesus Christ, but they leave. Second group. But to be short in writing, behold, he saw other multitudes pressing forward. Notice how similar it is. And they came and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron, and they did press their, their way forward, continually holding fast to the rod of iron, until they came forth and fell down and partook of the tree. Basically, what is different is that 
The one clung, the one continued, the one fell down, and the one didn't. That's the difference between these scriptures. You'll say, well, wait, the one says Mr. Burgess, the other doesn't. I think it's because he said, I'm going to be short in writing, I'm not going to explain the Mr. Burgess too. I believe they went through the Mr. Burgess if you really read the whole story. But the two main things that are different is the one clung, the one continued. Now, what's interesting is those connotations, if you really look at it, clean would seem to be a very positive connotation, but that end result is not, so it can't be. It can't be a positive thing because that isn't what the second group did. The second group didn't clean. Because most generally, the word clean has a connotation of fear. And fear, if that is what gets you to Christ, you will not stay with Christ. But continue shows more of faith, of a conscious effort. And so I don't know this. Again, I'm going to take a tiny bit of literary liberty in this. I have wondered if the first group was cruising along, and they would hold on as tight as they could because they were so afraid that they were going to leave. Because what's interesting is I read this story. When the mist of darkness comes, it hides the rod, it hides the river, it hides the path, it hides the tree. But it doesn't hide the building. Novel concept. Why would Satan hide the building from him? He wants to hide the depths of hell. He wants to hide the iron rod. First in Revelation, words of the prophets, scriptures. He wants to hide the tree for sure and the fruit that come from it. And he doesn't want you to be on the path. He wants you to continually see the building. And so it almost seems as these two groups went forward that the building was constantly present before them. And the one group that kept clinging or in fear held on to the rod was almost as if they lived the gospel of Jesus Christ in desperation instead of faith in the Savior. And it seems to be this because, it'll, you'll look at this next verse here, and after they had partaken of the fruit, they did cast their eyes about as if they were ashamed. What, what were they looking for? They were looking for somebody to approve of what they had done. They didn't worry that God approved of it. They didn't even realize it was the tree, because there's no way that if you knew it was Christ, you would not fall to your knees. So for some reason, the journey that they went on, they did not come to know Christ from the journey. And the minute they get to the tree, partake of the fruit, they ask the building, is this okay? Well, the building's never going to say yes. And so the building says no, and they're like, oh my word, I am so ashamed to be near this tree. I look like a dork. Because during the journey, they had not come to know Christ. The second group obviously came to know Christ because before they even partook of the fruit, they fell down and worshipped him. Then they partook of the fruit. And you look at that difference there. And it says, we heeded the building up. The building had no more power in the life of this second group. It was dead. It was gone. It didn't exist. And so when we cast our eyes vertically... As I said at the start, whatever you cast your eyes towards and seek approval from is what you will get your revelation from. And whatever you choose to get that revelation from, that is what you will come to know. I'll show you examples of it, okay? If you remember, simply, the ten virgins, they're all members of the church. We know that from the brethren. Five make it, five don't. And the reason those that don't make it is very clear from the story. Now, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they already went in, into the marriage. The door was shut. Okay? In other words, they were partaking of the marriage feast, or in other words, they were now being connected to Jesus Christ, because we all have to be, we're all the brides in the story of the scriptures, we're marrying the, the bridegroom, which then allows us to live in his house for eternity, under his name, Christ, okay? Afterward came also the five foolish virgins, saying unto them, Lord, Lord, open to us, let us in. But he answered and said, Verily I said to you, I know you not. Hallelujah, the prophet Joseph corrected this one. That is not what was said. He said to them, you don't know me. Can you marry somebody you don't know? That would be really weird in the real world. Okay? Some of those that are, have homey eyes like in Japan or their arranged marriages, it might be that way, but those aren't even there anymore. But isn't that interesting? The whole reason they could not come into the wedding feast is because they didn't know Christ. The first group didn't know Christ, so they left and went to the building. Whatever we take our revelation from is who and what we'll come to know. It's like this. My worth, my peace, my happiness, my faith, I have a choice to go vertical or go horizontal. Those horizontal sources can be anything from my job to success to money 
to my callings, I connect my work to, to my cleanliness of my house to show that I'm a good whatever. Um, marital status, it can go on others, you know, if others agree with me. Um, we can connect it to children's success, we can connect it to physical beauty, we can connect it to living the right neighborhood, we can connect it to allowing you like to have on social media. And whatever one you connect it to, you will come to know that source very well. People who love to get likes on social media know social media very, very well. And they get their revelation about how they feel about themselves from it. Those that have to have people agree with their opinions, they seek out those people that will agree with them, and that's when they get to know and what other people don't agree with them. Okay? I've watched in my own life that I would connect my worth to my calling. I have done that. Thought that I was maybe of more value and worth, now that finally I had a calling of, of significance. And I'll tell you, the Lord gets a chance to teach you. Ooh, sometimes those are rough lessons. I watch, so you look at this, some are strongly more strong. Some of these I can go, oh my word, that's no big deal to me. And you're right, you, you make your own circles. Make your own circles. You'll know what it is. But watch this, this is the key. God knew that we're going to live in a fallen world that was going to be very difficult. He knew there was going to be a constant barrage of information coming at us all the time. And he knew that we'd have a tendency to go to those things for our approval, for our happiness, and for the things that we want to reveal to us. Okay? But he knew that we also were his children, and we lived at three eons of time, and our spirits longed to be near him. And he knew this battle would be very real. And I don't know which one you'd put a big, bold line around. I have no idea. I know what mine are. But this is what's amazing. Each time that we choose to disconnect, and as you watch the diagram, each time we choose to disconnect a little bit, watch this line up here. It's kind of an automatic, beautiful thing. What happens is each time I disconnect from something here, it gives me a chance to widen that conduit of revelation that the heavens so greatly wants to reveal to us. When President Heath Nelson says, increase your spiritual capacity to revelation, I think one of the things is disconnect your worth, happiness, and revelatory experience from the things that are horizontal so that your vertical source can become really wide. Now, brothers and sisters, there's still some of these here, and we're still going to have them. And there's going to be days where I literally connect myself to it completely. Let me share an experience of my sweetheart. <clears throat> she says, I once heard about a, no, I'm sorry, this, that's, hers is the next one. This is one that I, uh, one of my experiences. I once heard about a couple who had accumulated in the pursuit of a certain lifestyle hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. They tried to unravel the mess, moving, selling almost everything they could, and giving up so many of the familiar comforts. In that process, the husband explained, I love what he taught here. This has been a much more difficult, this has been much more difficult than I thought. And not because I can't drive a nice car anymore. I have had to completely rewire how I value myself. And how I determine the value of a person in general. Wow. My wife shares this. About a week after about a week of thinking about it, however, I started realizing some of the ramifications of the decision. Oh, I apologize, my wife said, tell them the first part of the story. <laughs> my wife was asked to do something in the school that was kind of significant and a little bit prestigious and kind of cool. And she felt really good about it. Really good about it. Like, like the revelation was very clear, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I remember her talk to me, this feels good. And I'm like, good, feels good, do it. And, she, and so she says it felt good. And then she stops and says, after about a week of thinking about it, however, I started realizing some of the ramifications of the decision that I was just making. It would require a significant amount of time away from my family, and on nights when my husband would not be able to be home with our younger children, I would require it would require me to be gone right after school when my other children would be coming home. The more I thought about it, the more I could see how hard it would be on all of the, on us all if I accepted the position. I got to the point that every time I thought about it, I would get sick in my stomach. I realized I shouldn't accept it, but it was a very hard thing to turn down. Although I was so excited about it and felt so good about it at first, I later realized that my feelings were not necessarily inspired by God, but rather by flattery. She realized the flattery she was getting for it was her revelation. And when she could finally pull back and see she says, I felt honored that I was being considered, and I interpreted those feelings to be an affirmation from the Spirit. 
I love my wife here here. And I remember when we walked through this experience, it was such a neat experience to realize the flattery and the feeling of affirmation was for revelation, not what God had in store. And when she finally calmed down and let the flattery and the admiration start to die, the vertical kicked into gear very clearly. When we knew exactly what we were supposed to do. And it wasn't that job right there. That's the power of understanding. And it's so hard not to so hard sometimes to distinguish between that. It really is of how that works. Um, our divine nature has nothing to do with our personal accomplishments. The status we achieve, the number of marathons we run, I'll never be in that category. Um, when I, so I was driving the other day and on the back, now the ones that say 30, how long is the marathon? 26.2. And then I drove, and there was a car that said 0.0. I'm like, that's mine! I did that sticker right there, 0.0. That's the one I want. Um, or our popularity, our self-esteem. Our divine nature comes from God. It was established in an existence that preceded our birth and will continue on into the eternities. Looking out through a window, not just into a mirror, allows us to see ourselves as His. We naturally turn to Him in prayer, and we are eager to read His words and to do His will. We're able to take our validation vertically from Him, and not horizontally from the world around us, or those on Facebook or Instagram. If you ever question that spark of divinity within you, kneel in prayer and ask Heavenly Father, am I really that daughter, thy daughter, or dost thou love me? Elder Russell, Elder M. Russell Ballard said, one of the sweetest messages the Spirit will relay is how the Lord feels about you. Brothers and sisters, let me just tell a quick experience, and I want to end with a story. I was like a bishop for a few years ago, and the bishop and I went into top relief site one day. He asked me to come join him. And he asked me to teach one part, he wanted to teach one part. So he taught his part, and I taught my part. Well, I was getting ready to teach my part. And um, as I was watching him teach, and he is very cognizant of his sisters and worried about making sure he does not overload them. But for some reason, I've been given a gift of perception, especially with the female gender. I think it's because I was raised with all sisters, my mother, and I have six daughters. And so my, I, you know, I moved from waffle brain to spaghetti brain. Um, you know what I mean by that? It's uh, everything's connected to my brain now. And I watched the sisters' faces, and I watched them go, another thing the Lord wants me to do on top of the 14,000 things he gave me last week. And I watched them, and I went, oh. So I stood up and I said, sisters, I sense a feeling of frustration and stress in here. And in that moment, some started to weep a little bit, like, oh, hallelujah. And I said, can I, can I ask you to do something tonight or today when you get home? Before you go and ask anything about what we're teaching you. Or you ask me about what more you should do, because you guys are amazing. You probably will do that, even though you're doing probably more than you should be doing. I said, will you try this? Will you go home after church and find a quiet place, which you guys have little children that won't happen unless you lock yourself in the closet. Um, I said, will you just kneel down and say, Heavenly Father, how do you feel about me? How do you see me right now? And it was the most amazing experience because in that moment, the Spirit came in and taught some of them how he felt right then. I said, because if you know that, and he does ask you to do something else, You'll be able to do it. But if you don't know that, that something else will just overload you and then make you crash. My husband, this is the title of it, said to me, I was never attracted to you. Wow. Six months after our wedding, my husband and I gingerly approached a topic that be, has was, become, was becoming obvious to both of us. He was not physically attracted to me. No, he was not gay. He was, however, embarrassed to be discussing with me feelings he didn't have for me. He felt shallow and ashamed. He was still certain I was the very best choice for a life companion, but he had never really thought of me as attractive. There was hard evidence that I was not beautiful. I was angry and hurt. How could the one man I chose out of the whole world, the one who chose me, tell me he was not attracted to me? I couldn't stop thinking about it. In the morning when I got out of bed, I felt especially unattractive. 
When I chose what to wear, I worried with the wrong outfit might make me, that might make him turn away from me. I wondered if bad hair might generate feelings of frustration in my husband, who wanted to be attracted to me. I craved being beautiful to him, and I was worried that this problem was somehow my fault. Not surprisingly, my confidence tanks, and I started to realize I might never be attractive enough for him, no matter how hard I tried. My personality started hiding, sinking deep inside of me out of rage. We talked about divorce, but neither of us really wanted that. I think we both were hoping that some miracle would come along and make me attractive to him. Hmm. A miracle did happen, but it had nothing to do with my husband or my husband thought about me. During the time of deep and pain and insecurity, I finally realized that I was looking in the mirror in my bedroom, in the mirror in my husband's eyes instead of the mirror inside my heart. At some point, I remember there was another mirror, and I took a long look in my cell at myself. Down deep inside, a voice, I love this vertical revelation, a voice reassured me I was actually beautiful enough. Strength I had forgotten well up in me, and I knew that what my husband thought about my attractiveness was not all that important. I could value him without taking on his weaknesses, including his inability to see my beauty. Something changed in me that day. I wanted to keep that strength with me, and I knew I would have to choose to believe in my beauty even if no one else did. I prayed to overcome self-defeating thoughts, to avoid hatred, anger, and jealousy, which always brings self-doubt. I quit blaming my husband for his blindness and began being good to myself. That is my miracle. She got the vertical. And though it doesn't change a thing, I just want to mention that last week my husband began to cry. He apologized for how he felt about me at the beginning of our marriage. He says he had discovered that I really am beautiful. A problem was inside him. He can't believe he said those things to me. He says he thinks that I'm the most beautiful woman in the world that he knows. And I mean it. Brothers and sisters, I love this story for many, many reasons, but I think it's a great capstone to vertical versus horizontal connections. I learned about 10 years into my marriage that if every time my wife was upset with me, I connected my value to that, that I would struggle a lot. Not that she was upset with me a lot, but that I took her personally, and she found out the same thing, that if whatever I felt was how she felt, it became pretty damaging. So what we started to do, we started to talk about how we can make sure in the midst of our struggles, we still didn't have God's help. And so we started, when we would struggle, we'd go to the Lord and say, Father, how does thou see what we're talking about? And almost always he would say, private prayer to each of us, you're doing okay. Not that you're done, you're doing okay. I know the good. So we could handle some of the difficulties we had in our marriage. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of horizontal sources. Whatever one you turn toward is the one you towards toward is the one you'll get to know. And the one you'll trust. As you disconnect, you turn back to God, you'll get to know him and trust him in revelation will flow freely. I testify by the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.